Goldthorpe is number one. A kickstart for Australia. Gold in a world record. Now it's Donovan Bailey trying to pick up runners. Donovan Bailey is putting on the third. A perfect score, 10.0 for Nancy Cavanici, a perfect score. The first time I've never seen anyone get a So in over 100 years, nobody's won as many medals at the Olympic Games in any sport than this great champion, Michael Phelps. Usain Bolt, sprinting ahead, winning by daylight and setting a world record. 9.68, the wind is okay. How easy was that? It is Off The Podium, an Olympics podcast coming to you once again for another athlete interview. And we're returning to a sport that we haven't had someone on in quite some time. The sport of canoe slash kayak, kayak slash canoe paddling. Let's be honest. Let's just call it that. And uh, so excited to be able to speak to our first ever Olympic medalist from this sport and an Olympic gold medalist, if you don't mind, Jean van der Westheisen, of course, part of the pairing with him and Tom Green that won the gold in the K2 1000 in Tokyo earlier this year. An amazing event. We were so excited watching that one and remember celebrating a lot of that on uh, the day that it happened right towards the end of the Olympics. But uh, this is a great chat with Jean, learning a little bit about his background, growing up in South Africa, getting into the sport, moving to Australia, pursuing it, his Olympic dreams, moment when he won the gold medal, what he's done with the gold medal and kind of hopes moving forward, as well as talking about uh, fighting in a boat. What's it like to kind of have a bit of a, a quarrel with your teammate, how you sort it out, how it can also probably help you moving forward. And also uh, bringing us up to date on a new event that's happening in Paris, one that uh, maybe is more suited to a certain Jess Fox rather than himself. And also going over a little bit about his allegiances when it comes to Australia versus South Africa and our heated sporting rivalry in several different sports. So great chat here with Jean, and we are here to play it for you right now. Here is our chat with Olympic gold medal winning kayaker Jean van der Westheisen. <laughs> exciting to bring on guests who off the podium to learn a little bit more about their careers their olympic journeys and everything else in between and it's always a little bit more exciting when we can say that our guest just happens to have a nice piece of jewelry that they can wear around their neck our guest today is an olympic gold medalist being part of the k2 1000 meter team that took the gold in tokyo fairly recently and i'm very excited to learn a little bit more about that journey the journey of getting to the games and everything else in between, please welcome to Off the Podium, Jean van der Westheisen. Jean, first of all, pleasure to have you here on the show. Uh, are you getting sick of being introduced as an Olympic gold medalist? I mean, do you just want people to keep saying that to you all the time? Oh, no, I don't think you can ever get tired of it. It kind of still feels a bit weird, but hey, look, I'll I'll take it where it comes. So, yeah, <laughs> well done for pronouncing the name. I'm very impressed. You didn't even have to ask before. It's uh, probably one look, of the first times I've experienced I, I really, that. I really need to just, when people say that to me on this show, just take it and be like, you're welcome and move on. But I will say that I do write things out phonetically. I do practice several times because if you ever listen to any of our coverage during actual Olympics, I'm telling you now, you don't want to hear how I'm pronouncing your name or anybody <laughs> else's name. So I'll take the credit where it's due. So I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> no worries. No worries. Well done. 
What what is the worst that anyone has tried? Like, has anyone just not even bothered to even attempt to pronounce it and called you like Gene de Van de Wester Zoo or something like that? Like, just go oh for yeah, something? All, all all the time, all the time. Honestly, I don't really mind if people call me Gene, John, Sean, John <laughs> occasionally. So you get the whole bunch, but no, it's all right. It doesn't doesn't kind really work, matter. Works it out. Works, works out it's also. Me. Is it like a male thing? Like I know like my last name's not exactly super sort of, you know, difficult. People actually read my name. It's pretty easy to pronounce, but yeah. I'll get Butterworth, Waterworks, water, like you'll get random things. Like do you sometimes just get a letter and go, how do you even get that as my name? Uh, you know what? I just accept it. Whatever comes, comes. <laughs> and you know what? I just, just have a laugh now. It's all good. It's all yep. good. Works, works out that way. Now, yeah. you obviously were born in South Africa, grew up there. I would love to sort of know about sort of this journey, how you got to the sport of of canoeing. I mean, kind of was this something growing up that your family was involved in, that, that you somehow got involved in? I mean, kind of what what turned you into uh, an Olympic canoe athlete? Honestly, it was just offered as a school sport um, at my junior school back in uh, my small town um, of Franchuk. And I thought this would be a pretty cool, cool sport to do. It wasn't like the rugby, cricket, uh, tennis type of stuff. And it was a little bit different. Didn't know much about it. And I thought it might be a nice idea to hang out on the water with a couple of mates. So, yeah, I kind of just uh, took it up because I thought it was different and cool. Yeah, simple. And is, is sort of the sport biggish in South Africa? Or is it kind of something that many people no, are involved it's not, in? it's not really a massive sport. Like you get, I think ocean ski paddling is quite big. And then you got like things like the doozy where you have like a thousand four hundred entries, I think. So, um, the river races are pretty big and the ocean ski racing is, is, is big as well, but the sprinting side of things is just, um, probably a little bit quieter, um, in, in South Africa where maybe in Australia, the sprinting is, is pro, oh, you know, what? it's probably the same ski paddling is probably a bit more well-known in Australia, but, um, there's a lot more uh, prestige around, um, an Olympic Games event, I'd say. So outside of, you know, when you gave it a try at school, were you involved in, in many other sports at the time? Were you doing the standard rugby and, and cricket oh, sort of? <laughs> I was the stock standard rugby, cricket, hockey, tennis, um, a little bit of tennis, um, athletics, did everything. And, yeah, so I wasn't like I just kind of, you know, slipped into kayaking. That's all I did. I, I did the rest and, uh, yeah, was pretty pretty happy playing um, every sport, to be honest. I, I just really loved it. And was there sort of an ambition sort of through the sports that you were playing for an Olympic? Like, was this sort of something as a kid that you sort of looked at and go, wow, that would be amazing to, to be an Olympian one day? Honestly, I think just when I was really young, I, I thought being a rugby player would have been cool or a cricketer um, just because you watch them on TV all the time. So I really loved those sports. But once I kind of started slowly getting a, um, a couple of good results as a junior, you think, oh, this is something I'm good at. And you kind of slowly just progress. And then, you know, I found out that it was an Olympic sport and, um, then all of a sudden your Olympic dream is kind of born essentially. You go, wow, maybe I want to go to the Olympics. Um, uh, and, and I think that's where, well, I'd like to think that's where, where most of Olympians dream start is when they're just a young a young kid watching the games or, or watching one of their role models. What, what is Olympic coverage like in South Africa? Is it kind of like in Australia where it's sort of two weeks of nonstop coverage? I mean, is it yeah, a little bit different? Absolutely. Or? I think it's very similar. Like it's two weeks of nonstop uh, uh, coverage and everybody gets gets around it. The South African team is definitely not as successful as the Australian team, but there's definitely a lot of coverage, a lot of hype um, um, around the Olympic Games. So, yeah, it's definitely just as exciting, I'd say. So then what brings about the move 
to Australia? Was it to pursue the career more? Was it sort of family reasons? Kind of what brought you to this part of the world? Um, well, I think my family was always going to move abroad, and I think it was always most likely going to be Australia, just to um, yeah, just for a, a better life in terms of opportunity for us and kids as a um, in our careers. And and for me, it was just um, about pursuing my tertiary education and also about a. Uh, also knowing that if I, if I moved to Australia, there was opportunity to better my kayaking as well, um, just with the facilities and the setup they, that they have over here, or we have over here. Um, it was a huge opportunity, um, and I thought, why, why not? And pursue it, obviously, kind of it worked a little bit that way. I mean, kind of when you got here, was there sort of much of a, when you're seeing these sort of facilities and kind of the training aspects of it to it, I mean, sort of how did that compare to what you were used to at the time in South Africa? Oh, it's completely different. Um you know, it's, it's Australia. We we have such a, a great setup here. Everything is really on the tip of our fingers for us to to get a good result. We have great coaches, sports scientists, recovery. Um, where South Africa, it really is all up to your to your to your um to yourself if you wanna if you wanna make something happen. You know, there's no coach waiting for you in the morning. Um, because I went to boarding school, so I, I had to drive down an hour to training in the in the Arvos um to get to some good water in the city. Otherwise, I just trained up um, around a little dam. So yeah, there's really it's really just up to yourself to make it happen. You know, if you if you wanted to go to training in the morning or if you, and you wanted to make the drive down to the city in the afternoon, it was kind of up to your, um up to yourself and where you come to Australia and there's just a whole team of people around you wanting to make you do, um, get better results. So yeah, it's, it's really different and coming from South Africa, um, into, into that Australian environment was just so amazing. It was so, uh, it was so cool for me. I, I believe you sort of dabbled a bit sort of in, in marathon and then sort of sprint sort of side of things, but when you got to Australia shifting a bit more to sprint, I mean, did that come down to, mainly sort of Olympic aspirations, kind of like what kind of changed that, I guess, aspect from that side I think to the other? as a junior, you you kind of can do all these other disciplines. You can do, you know, river paddling, marathon paddling, sprinting, and get good results in, in all of them. Um, but when you get to a senior level and you're trying to pursue an Olympic Games, it's just, I think the level is just that little, that little bit more above um, your non-Olympic sports, um, just because of the emphasis on the Olympic Games and, and uh, the amount of athletes from you know Europe trying to trying to um, trying to get great results, right? So uh, when I moved to Australia, I knew I just wanted to pursue sprinting, and I knew it's going to take up all my time, and and that I wouldn't be able to pursue stuff like ski paddling or or, or downriver paddling. It just wasn't going to work because uh, what the sport requires of you to get a good result is your hundred percent. There's no space to do other things really. So yeah, I was, I was committed to it and I, I, I really wanted to go to Olympic games and always loved the sprinting anyway. So it was a, it was an easy transition. What, what was the point where you sort of felt that the Olympics were a realistic goal? I mean, sort of was sort of obviously you, I don't know if you were too young for Rio or kind of like, was that a realistic opportunity or kind of, was it always a firm set on Tokyo being the goal? I think I'm um, my first, uh, my first world championship medal as a junior was when, I I think I I realized that I I might be able to make it. Obviously, it's two different levels, but you kind of get a, I suppose a bit of confidence about yourself that you kind of on the right track or the right trajectory to to possibly you know achieving things um, that you might not have thought before you're capable of. So it was probably in 2040 when I won my first world championship medal that um, I thought, oh, this is maybe something for me, and maybe in, in Olympic Games is something that's that's possible. And and from that moment, really, I just. I kind of dropped the the other sports I was doing and um, just focused on kayaking and 
um, 2020 was always the goal for me. We are still in school, so I was, I was a bit young. And in our sport, you don't really go to Olympic Games at 16, 17 years old. I think there's only, maybe there's been a handful. I'm, I'm not too sure. Not that I know of, but um, yeah, 2020 was always going to be the goal for me, for sure. It always, yeah, it's interesting sort of when I look at sort of kayaking and you, you do see the ages of athletes, it, it does seem to be one of these sports where older athletes kind of, it's, it's where you're at your peak sort of, and it's, it's the opposite in obviously some sports. So, I mean, kind of you work towards a goal, I can imagine, of, of Tokyo, knowing that this is a journey that realistically could go on for, for multiple Olympics, given, I guess, how it kind of works in the sport, right? Yeah, I think so. I think um, if you kind of look where most athletes get their medals, it's, probably around that 25 to 30 mark is where they're going to get their, some of their better results. Um, look, some guys have done really well in their thirties and some guys have done really well younger, but I suppose maybe that that sweet spot is between the 25 and, and 30 marks. So you're peaking yeah, so, early, basically. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. But, um, yeah, I still, I still think there's, there's room for um, myself to grow and get stronger and fitter and um, build more endurance. So, um, yeah, hopefully there's a bit of a longer career ahead of myself and, and hopefully another Olympic Games games to come up as well. So, yeah, we'll just have to wait and see. We've talked to a few roles on the show and, and we've we've only sort of spoken to one parent. We spoke to Elise and, and Jordan Wood uh, a couple of months back sort of about their journey in the sport. But there seems to be, and correct me if I'm wrong though, a little bit more of a an ability to go from say a K1 to a K4, like you can kind of alternate a little bit more than maybe you would in rowing. I mean, is that true or do you kind of have to eventually go, no, I'm going to focus more on it. I'm a better, you know, pair kayaker than I would be a solo. Like can you transition more or do you sort of have to solely focus on one eventually? I think, yeah, maybe it's, I don't really know rowing too well, but I think it is maybe a bit easier to transition into, you know, K1s, K2s, K4s um, in, in kayaking. Um, each boat is totally different and requires a different skill set um, and a different kind of way of paddling, I suppose. And it's really hard to race two events, especially racing like a K2 and a K4. Um, we're maybe racing a K1 and a K2 or a K1 and a K4 is a little bit easier. Um, but jumping across, yeah, doing two events, is it, it's hard either way. Um, and it's it's tricky, you know, each boat is completely different and, and requires a different skill set. So uh, maybe it is a bit easier than rowing. I'm, I'm not too sure. I don't know a whole bunch about rowing, but um, yeah, you can kind of hop in and out of boats as you as you as you feel like it. But to get good results and in two events is pretty tough. So you're basically saying that Lisa Carrington is even more of a freak than we already uh, know, essentially, to what she's absolutely. been able to achieve. <laughs> she's absolutely unbelievable. She's an amazing, amazing athlete. Just to get those results is uh, yeah, it's it's unbelievable. So in terms of then meeting. Tom, kind of, you know, kind of how does that partnership go about? Are you sort of placed together because coaches think that you two are going to work together well on a boat? Do you know each other and go, hey, let's let's kind of hook up, let's try something? Sort of how did that relationship begin? Oh, it's really just all up to the coaches, to be honest. Um, like we we only 22 years old, so they just have a world of experience and, and we kind of go with what they feel is going to click and, and can be a good combination. Um, and, yeah, they thought myself and Tom – could possibly a good be a good pair um so it's not like you know we we come and we go oh let's paddle k2 it was definitely um not like that at all it was just the coach that said hey you guys are gonna try it in the k2 you're gonna see if this can maybe work we feel there there might be um something good that can can come out of this combination um and yeah it's really just as simple as that to be honest and did you had you known him beforehand like kind of where you sort of on the same yeah, sort of, of team or 
I've always, since I came to Australia, I've been training with Tommy. Um, so yeah, I, I knew him well before we, we hopped in the boat together. So, you know, we're good mates and um, it was pretty easy to be honest. We was, there was no really, really dramas. And how is that kind of then, does that, that help kind of, obviously I can imagine there sort of needs to be some sort of relationship where you can talk outside the boat. I imagine you don't want to get out of the boat and go, fuck you, mate, I'm going home now. <laughs> like you did shit today. Like you want to kind of have some sort of relationship with a guy beforehand, right? Yeah. Well, we were, like I said, you know, he was, he's been training in the same group as me ever since I came to Australia. So yeah, we were good mates and we have a, a really good relationship and honest relationship. Um, you know, we're not, people think, uh, you know, look at partnerships and it's all just, um, you know, sunshine and fairies and it's all happy, clappy, but it's really not. Um, we've had our fair share of blowups and fights and arguments, but we always leave that on the water or in the shed and we walk out mates and we shake hands and we move on. And I think that's why we've been able to remain honest with each other and, um, and, uh, and, and work past those probably difficult times where we, you know, we maybe think the one guy's doing something wrong or, but it's actually just us, you know, as individuals being a bit silly. Um, so yeah, we have a good, we have a really good relationship. We great mates off the water. We good mates on the water. We honest with each other. Um, it's not perfect. I don't think any good relationship is perfect. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's healthy. I think. What, what is a blow up in, in kayaking? Like is it comes down to your stroke rate was shit. Like you didn't do this in the back end. Like kind of like what, what is a, a standard fight when it comes to a fight between teammates? Oh, between myself and Tommy, I don't know if, if one of us are late or one of us is stuffing around. Um, if, you know, we're not giving, if we're not doing our, our job on the water, um, if we're not following the training session properly, stuff like that. And it's just really small things that can kind of tick each other off just because, you know, you know, pretty stressful environment. You want to get things right. I mean, one guy's not on point. Um, yeah, we kind of get under each other's skin and it's, sometimes it's me, sometimes it's him. Um, but yeah, you know what, those, it's good to have those little arguments and, and work past them. And, uh, I think they make you better to be honest at the end of the yeah, day. I was going to say that I can imagine it's kind of a bit character building though, when you can kind of get through those, I mean, you don't want that to happen in the midway point of an Olympic final. You want it to happen a little bit before get over it and kind of, I guess, push towards the success that you're both striving towards. Absolutely. You know, you got to work through those things, right? Um, it's, it's never, it's probably never going to be perfect. Um, but if you're hard away from those, from those things, or, or you don't want to address certain problems, um, they're probably going to stay there and they're probably going to affect the boat and they're probably going to affect your training. So you might as well just, um, just, just get them out, have an honest conversation, have a blow up and, uh, and work past it. Now you, I believe made your first senior national team in 2019 before ultimately securing your spot at the Olympics sort of a, a year later. I mean, kind of, it, it seemed to come along pretty quickly when you sort of joined this. I mean, was, as you said, Tokyo was kind of the goal, but was this kind of a bit surprising that all of a sudden you're, you're making a, a senior team and then boom, within a year you're qualifying for Olympics? Or was that just, again, the path you'd set yourself? It kind of was, hey, I'm doing what I set out to achieve. Um, I think so. I think I, like that was always my goal. Obviously, when you, you, when you make the team, it's a bit of a surprise and it's cool because you've achieved your goal. Um, and for me, yeah, qualifying for the Olympics was always a dream for me. So no matter if I expected it or not, um, I never expect anything, to be honest. I really just go out there um, and race hard and, and see what the result is. Obviously, you have an expectation of yourself and, and your performances, but um, you never just expect to walk into an Olympic team or to make an Olympic team. Um, I think that, that that type of mindset will, I don't think it will probably serve you too well. At least it's never served me well. Um, and yeah, I think everything that's kind of come to me has been a bit of a surprise. And um, although I've, I've 
uh, I've prepared quite well and I, and I thought, you know, sometimes I've had a good shot at, you know, making my first senior team or making the Olympic team. It's always a nice surprise to actually make it and, and, and achieve your goal. So, yeah. Did having an extra year help sort of towards ultimately winning that gold medal? I mean, do you feel that you could have still been in that position had the Olympics gone as planned in 2020? Absolutely. I think it definitely helped um, just because we're such a young crew. We would have only been 21 um, last year where we had an extra year to prepare now. And um, I mean, a lot changed in our boat. I sat in front, Tommy was in the back, in, in the in the back. And if it was a year, a year um, earlier, it would have been the opposite way around. Tommy would have been in the front, I would have been in the back and and, and who knows um, what the result would have been. So I think it was, yeah, it was crucial for us, you know, another year of development um, to get stronger, fitter, um, and ultimately faster. It was tough, absolutely, you know, to train at that level and have that kind of, uh, not, not pressure, but just knowing that that level of competition is coming up. Um, but, you know, we, we're still quite young and, and we, we knew that every year is going to help us, you know, even these next couple of years, I think there's there's so much room for development and for us to grow as athletes. So I think we were we were stoked. We realised there was an opportunity with another year and we, we kind of wanted to grab it with both hands. What what? How does that decision come about in terms of the positioning? Is it a case of you, you try it one way and go, well, maybe we can go? Is that a coaching decision again? Kind of how does that choice come about? Just a coaching decision again. You know, many of the decisions we make um, have come from our coaches um, and that's not because we don't have a voice or we can't speak up, just because um, we haven't been in the sport for nearly as long as them. Um, they've kind of seen it all. We have a really good um we, our, our two main coaches, Jimmy and, and Smithy, I think they have a really good mix. Jimmy's been to uh, to three Olympic games. Smithy's raced and won himself and, and been coached under Jimmy. So there's a really good mix of, um, you know, a fresh kind of athlete coach and then a coach that's been around for a while. So they kind of know what works and, and what could work. So it's really just kind of listening to them and, and following their guidance, especially when we're so young and we don't have a lot of experience under our belt. Was there much, I mean, are you and Tom sort of based in the same area? So were you able to still train sort of during things like lockdowns and kind of all that sort of stuff to, to Tokyo? Or did you have to kind of take other methods to do sort of some virtual training or something along those lines? In that no, area? we were actually pretty lucky. We we both stayed on the Gold Coast. So um, it was never really too bad on the Goldies. So we kind of just kept on training where we could. Um, yeah, there was a period where we couldn't train with each other, but um, we had to do some stuff at home. But majority of the time we, yeah, we were... We were training with each other on the water and um, you know, just kind of carrying on as per usual. We always love hearing sort of little things around the Olympic experience, you know, soaking in the atmosphere, getting your uniform, you know, if you went to the opening ceremony, things like that. Do you, do you take those opportunities to, to soak those moments in or are you sort of so set on competition that it's kind of, hey, like I'll, I'll do what I can and maybe soak it in after my, my race? I think um, there are moments that you that you do soaking, like getting a uniform. That's that's a really special moment. But um, for for Tommy and I, like we had a discussion that you know when we when we went over to Tokyo, it was it was going to be nothing but but um, but just focusing on our race um, when we got there. So if there's any media or you know like going to go get a picture at the Olympic rings or you know, having a look at the Olympic village and, and getting amongst the vibe and, and everything that's happening. And that's not something we wanted to do and what we wanted to be a part of while we were racing. So it was really just getting into the village, getting our stuff unpacked, going to the dining hall, the, the, the eating hall, um, going to the course. And that was it for the first five, five, six days while we're there, while we're racing. 
And then the two, three days we had after, you know, we could go take the photos, we could go explore and, you know, chat with other people and, and, um, and kind of soak up a bit of the vibe. But while I was there, you know, some people are more comfortable. They want to maybe go take a photo here or there or go, you know, for a walk and, and see all these different things where for us, it was just getting in, um, focusing on the job at hand. And once, once that was done, we could go enjoy the, the other things around the edges. And I've also imagined that not that you're, I mean, you're at your first Olympics, you're thinking about your Olympics then and there, but given, given your age, given you're so young, you hope to go to multiple Olympics. I mean, these are things that I can imagine that, you know, come Paris, LA, Brisbane, that, you know, these are possibly things that you can maybe soak in a little bit more because I guess you've experienced one, you've got a gold medal. Um, so like, I mean, you still want to win more, but I guess you can probably appreciate a little bit more the more you go. Honestly, I don't, I don't think so. I think my mentality will be the, the same. I'd want to keep it the same. I want to have a, a identical approach to the next two, the next two games. If I decide to maybe try go to, um, uh, 2028 or at least try pursue them going to an Olympic games, you can never say is a guarantee. Um, but I think I'd want to keep a similar mentality. I, I don't really want to kind of soak up the village. Um, while I'm racing there, I'd kind of just really want to focus on what's at hand and, I don't think I'd want to change really much of what I did in Tokyo. I think it worked well. And that's, again, you know, advice that our that our team gave us and our coaches gave us was that there's a lot of distractions and there's always going to be time for that afterwards when you're done racing. So, you know, if I had to go, if I did have the opportunity to go to 2024, I'd want to adopt a similar approach um, and, and only soak up, uh, I suppose, the atmosphere once you're done. Because I think the one thing that's unique about your sport too is that while, you know, you look at, a lot of sports that say are involved in a, in a Commonwealth Games or, you know, depending on the region, a European Games, a Pan Am Games, like some athletes in sports get that opportunity to experience a multi-sport event and kind of realise what it is. But for you guys, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, John, like there's not really an opportunity for you to go to a multi-sport Games outside of say a world championship, where clearly that's just you know different events in that sport. So that in itself, I can imagine, is why maybe coaches are saying that to you because you're not sort of susceptible to experiencing being in a village with some you know swimmers and some some runners, as opposed to they're used to it all the time because they kind of they go to those events often. I suppose so. Like yeah, the Olympic Games fast is so different to like a world championship just because um yeah the the world champs is just it's just a kayak it's just kayaking over there we don't have like a com games or panam games or any, anything like that so for us it's really just um it's really just dialing in dialing in when we get to olympic games because we understand the distraction that's there and um how you can kind of um, get, get get pulled to to all these different things um so yeah i suppose it is a bit different like that um and yeah, like I said, it's just really kind of focusing on what, what you're out there to do. Obviously, any athlete going into Olympics wants to walk away with a gold medal. Of course, that's the ultimate goal. But do you and Tom go into that and that's our goal? We are we are going to win this goal? Do you kind of set yourself smaller targets and work your way up? I mean, what were you thinking ahead of the event? Oh, look, I think absolutely. You know, in training, you set yourself smaller goals. Um, I, I don't know. I, I suppose... For me, I've never been a massive goal setter of, of trying to reach certain, I don't know, points in the season. Um, I think for me, I kind of, the training group sets the standard, or our coaches set the standard, that's where we need to be. There's certain times we need to hit in training and that's just always going to be the standard I'll go for. Um, and of course, I think that's the, that's the type of environment we, wanna, we wanted to create a training was that, you know, we're not just going there to 
to um to make a final but he really wanted wanted to push for the medals and push for for a really good results um and i think that's healthy and, and that's what we really wanted not to say that you're always going to get it but I, i'd like to think we always try um to to win every race we compete in i think that's the goal um so yeah of course you know going into the, to the olympics you want to you want to win the olympic gold um at least that's what you strive for you're not always going to get there um, you know, things happen, but uh, lucky enough and fortunately enough, we were, we were able to, yeah, get the get the top step of the podium, which was awesome. Obviously, in the first heat, you, you do pretty well. And, and then ultimately, you're also up against the, the German pairing you ultimately beat in, in the final as well. I mean, is that helpful that you're kind of up against such a strong pairing in that opening heat so you can kind of, I guess, put yourselves in where you're at? So then when it comes to the final, you've already beaten them and you can kind of understand a little bit. So it kind of helps in the long run. Um, yeah, definitely. I think moving into that heat, you know, we'd already had two days of racing in our, in our K1s and we'd had disappointing results. Um, both myself and Tom, we, we really felt we, we were capable of, of a lot more in our K1s and just didn't put, um, didn't put a good performance together for, for those first two days. So it was kind of, um, you could almost say it would have been daunting going into a heat with, you know, Germany, and then the Slovaks, who you could arguably say ranked second going into the game since they were Europe, they were they came second in the Euros and second in the World Cup to the Germans. So um yeah, just didn't really look into that too much and um not worrying about who was who was in a race and what they who their name was and what they'd achieved, but just kind of focusing on ourselves, knowing what we were capable of, um, both as individuals and as a crew. And um, not letting uh, not letting the the name and the moment and and the crews kind of get the better of us, but just go out there and do do what um, we knew we were capable of. So, what was that mindset then? Getting through the heat, getting through the semi, you're into the final. I mean, do you sort of remember what was in the mind? Was it just focused on the, on the start line? Like this is this is this is what we're here to do. I mean, kind of take us through what that was moment was like at the beginning. I think um, yeah, after. It, the, the only race that truly matters if you get there is the, the A final. So like, for example, in the heat, we, we crossed the line, we beat the Germans and the Slovaks and we got an Olympic record. And that was a cool moment to celebrate for like five, 10 minutes, but it was just shutting that down, recovering, getting a good feed in, resting and coming back the next day. And it was the same story in the semi. We had a pretty good race in the semi. Um, and again, it wasn't, you know, going crazy. Oh, that was amazing. That was so cool. But really just trying to stay relaxed. Um, same thing, get off the water, recover and get ready ultimately for, for the big one, which is, which was the final. Um, and then, yeah, you know, getting to the final, we just wanted to keep the same mindset. It's just another race. And uh, we understand, we, we understood the pressure around it and, and that every crew was going to be, you know, be nervous and, and feeling the, feeling that moment on the start line. Um, it's something we, we were aware of. And we just, um, I, I think we're quite, quite passionate, I guess, of, of not letting that get to us. Um, you know, in, in the K1s, it may have seemed like the racing or the pressure got to us, but it was really just, we, we just didn't put good, good performances together. And um, we knew that if we just stayed calm, stayed in our lane and had a good race, we'd be in for a shot. So, and yeah, I suppose the rest is, um, the rest is kind of history really. I just I rewatched it just before the interview, and I remember watching it live. Just, uh, just an incredible race, and and we said this a lot during the show during the Olympics that it always baffles me that rowing gets all the 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 attention from Australia so much, and then kind of people almost forget that hey, 
canoe kayak's a thing too. And to me, it's more exciting. It's more entertaining. And I remember watching it live because this is kind of at that point of the Olympics where sort of the swimming was over, sort of, you know, all these hopes were sort of done and Australia was kind of winding down on a success. Well, I think we were focusing on the hockey that night because the, the kookaburras and the gold medals. So watching oh. it live, it was kind of like, wow, like it's sort of, we always say there's like well, almost like an unexpected goal that Australia's not focused on. So it was so amazing to, to kind of watch just sort of live. I mean, what was that like when you were able to check your phone and kind of see the reaction that kind of your friends and family, but also I can imagine a lot of sort of people that are watching were sort of reaching out to you on social media and sort of sending you messages and everything like that. Oh, it's just unbelievable to be honest. Um, just such a surreal moment. Um, and it's really just a celebration of, of everybody, you know, we crossed the line, but there's so many people that support you back you along the way that have been shouting for you um, over the past couple of days, months, years. So it was really just a celebration of, of so many people and um, yeah, picking up your phone, your phone's obviously going um, absolutely off. Um, but it's just about contacting, you know, your family, your girlfriend um, and those closest to you. And obviously our coaches are there. Our family couldn't be there and, and the support staff, which was a special moment to share with them as well. Cause they've, they've, um, they've definitely uh, been there through the highs and the lows and the tough days and the great days. So they, they, they really kind of stood up. Uh, stood the test with you um so to celebrate and give something back to them was was special did you always think you had the germans like as they were closing in you right at the end did you just think that no, no we've got this they're, they're not coming for us we've got the gold no i don't think you you don't think about that in the race at all you you just race your best and uh crossing the line it's going to be what it's going to be so never really in in the race that i think we had it and and um, that's something we we really wanted to train for is is always racing to the line, always, 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 no matter what position you're in. Um, so yeah, of course, you know, I could see the Germans in the my peripheral vision, and I knew it was going to be it, it was going to be a fight to the line. It was going to be a tough race. So um, yeah, I, of course, I knew that, but I was just kind of holding our own, sticking to our race plan, and um, and yeah, the, I, I suppose we got a. Not not lucky, but um, we're fortunate enough to, to get that one over the Germans. Other things too, which I think are fascinating about the fact that you were the very first pair to, to win the event for Australia ever in the Olympic Games. I mean, uh, won a couple of medals in it, in it previously. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the first time that Australia had won a gold in a, in a two-person event too at the Olympics as well. So, I mean, kind of little things like that that kind of create a create a bit of history i mean do you kind of look at those two and reflect that you know we're, we're a bit of a groundbreaking pair here we've kind of cracked a bit of a duck that goes back to 1936 and australia's never been able to get a gold in this event oh absolutely i think it's you know it's super super special um just to be a, amongst that group of people that have been able to win olympic gold for for australia and yeah so australia had won won a gold medal in the k1 they'd won a gold medal in the K4 and, and now we could put the K2 on the list as well, which is um, obviously so special. And uh, yeah, it's really just a privilege and honor to be very honest. I mean, those athletes are amazing. I think the gold medal winners, are, I think the first was Clint Robinson, then it was Kenny and then it was the K the K4 boys in, in London and, and now it was us. So just to be kind of um, amongst that group of people is it's unbelievable to be honest. It doesn't feel real. Almost doesn't feel like we should be. Um, so to add to that, to that group is, yeah, it's just so special. I've got to ask a question here. I'm seeing on the program for Paris, there's an event called the extreme K one. Now, what the heck is this? Is this a, is this a thing? And does it sound as amazing as it is? <laughs> that's, um, that's the kind of in the slalom space, the white water stuff. So right. 
um, that that's going to be Jess Fox's event um, that she's probably going to go for in the next game. So wow. um, that's definitely nothing to do with me, but I think uh, you'll definitely have to keep an eye out for, for herself. She's um, just been on such fine form the last couple of years and such yeah. an amazing athlete. So definitely going to have to watch out for her name. I was going to see if that was like some weird combination maybe of the slalom no. and the sprint. Uh, like let's no. combine the two. <laughs> Unfortunately not, no. I don't know how you do that, but... <laughs> <laughs> Just like a sprint in, in white water in a, in a straight line or something along those lines. I mean, look, always stand a question when we get medalists on the show. What do you do with a medal? Is it something that you're just kind of, you know, constantly on the table right now? Because I can imagine you're doing sort of school appearances and things like that. Is it something that, you know, you hope to maybe make a display or something along those lines or don't know yet? Um, No, 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 no. I don't, not a display or anything like that. It's just something I keep in my box and my drawer. Um, and I think it's quite cool to share it amongst other people and, you know, your family and your friends. Um, so no, it's, it's, it won't be put on display or anything like that, but definitely not. What about, what about the stamps? I love finding this about the gold medalist. Like do, do your family go and buy like a couple of hundred sheets of the, the stamps now that you officially say that you're on an Australian stamp? Uh, yes, it actually did. That was, that was pretty bizarre too. To see my name oh my my face on on, on a aussie post stamp that was pretty cool I'm not gonna <laughs> lie i was like oh this is this is um pretty unreal so no it was a, it was a cool little moment for sure it's it's one of those things back to the letter question if you do receive a letter and it's kind of got your name you spelled, you're like dude like my, my face is on the stamp right in front of you you can't get it right <laughs> No, it's a tricky name, so I kind of let people off, to be honest. <laughs> Which, I mean, look, obviously the question has to be asked about Paris, but, I mean, is that kind of just right now you're just taking some R&R with things or kind of already switch focus towards uh, the next Olympics, next World Champs, kind of everything that comes with now the schedule? No, to be honest, I'm not I'm not thinking about Paris right now. Of course, you know, I'm going to be, I'm gonna be um, fighting for a spot there. Um, absolutely. But right now I'm just really enjoying the moment, enjoying my time with family and friends. Um, and just, uh, appreciating the moment for what it was, I guess. Um, and then when we start back up in October, absolutely, you know, the focus will be shifted to, to Paris and it's going to be a new event and it's going to be, um, yeah, a different event to work hard towards for. So yeah, abs- absolutely. You know, just, just enjoying the time now and then, uh, come and come October we'll, we'll reset for, for Paris. And just in terms of what being an Olympic gold medalist means in terms of a sport like kayaking, I mean, do you hope that there could be kids watching that event going, cool, I want to get involved in that, or you can now go to a, a different club and kind of just talk to them about your your journey? I mean, kind of is that something that you would hope that it can bring to really, I guess, further the sport in Australia moving forward? I think, of course, you know, because I was inspired by the guys older than me. I was, in, I was inspired by, you know, like I was inspired by Kenny and the K4 boys when they won gold. I was watching all those races. So I think it would be, it'd be great to know that, um, that myself and Tommy have maybe inspired a couple of the younger kids and, and uh, place a bit of drive into them to maybe try achieve the same thing. Um, absolutely. You know, you want to, you want to inspire the next generation of kayakers and, and um, hopefully play a small part in their their little career, yeah. We're going to close up with a series of sort of get-to-know-you questions that we, we always do. One thing I've got to ask, though, uh, Jean, if if you're watching the Springboks and the Wallabies or you're watching Australia versus South Africa in a test match, I mean, kind of where do your allegiances generally lie? You know, it's a tough one because the, the, the box is such a – it's almost like a – it's almost like a religion and back, back and South Africa to support them. But after having represented Australia at the games, I think I have to go for the Wallabies, mate. 
<laughs> I, li- I like that line you play. So the last World Cup was was that tricky, kind of watching the Wallabies go out and then all of a sudden the Springboks going on to win where you're like, oh, shit, what do I do here? <laughs> you know what? It's, it's good because I can claim either or. So yeah, i got exactly. two teams. I just I see it like that. <laughs> There's always benefits to having two teams sometimes when it comes to that way. Now, uh, okay. we, we close out with a series of sort of get-to-know-you style questions. These are based off a Team Canada questionnaire they gave their athletes ahead of of both Rio and Pyeongchang. And we always grab an athlete from the same sport when available. And as we did with Elise and Jordan, we've got uh, Cameron Smedley here, a Canadian paddler. Uh, I believe he might have been uh, C1 he's involved in. So I'm not sure if you're aware of, of Cameron at all or he's someone you've come across. No, nope. no. not too sure how that kind of works. But anyway, these are questions they pose to him and i'm going to start off with straight away if you could choose any olympic host city where would it be um jeepers if i could choose anyone i think athens would have been awesome mm. to be honest like that's just the the other uh, birthplace of the olympic Games. so i think yeah. that would be amazing yeah pretty special one don't i don't know how um realistic they'll ever go for an olympics again but hey like you know like, who knows maybe you, you never know <laughs> got maybe. a few venues sitting around with just a bit of liquor paint maybe they can uh, yeah. bring it back up to standards um the weirdest instruction a coach ever gave you was weirdest instruction jeepers that's a tough one um weirdest instruction um i don't know there's been some really there's been a couple of silly ones uh, nothing really that comes to mind, but sometimes you're going absolutely flat out and they'll be able to say, just keep going harder, mate. Like, dude, <laughs> what do you think I'm doing? Can't well, they try, to, they, they try to tell you to get up for another effort and you, and you smash, but you know, sometimes it works. Sometimes you, you do, uh, you do find a little more. So need a bit um, of extra but, pumping. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. Wow. Um, your favorite workout is. <sighs> My favorite workout, uh, my favorite session, um, cheapers. Uh, that's a tough one. Um, I kind of enjoy the, t- the it's a love hate relationship, but I actually enjoy the 10, 10, 1000 meters at a, a threshold. So nice. I kind of, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a love hate relationship. Sometimes if you're having a good session, it's great because you feel amazing everything's just working well but if if you're not feeling well it's the worst session so um yeah <laughs> they're the best one. ones though come on like <laughs> the highs are better and the lows suck but yeah there's there's, there's few highs and, and many more lows but the highs are real high and the lows are real low <laughs> uh if you could have lunch with any one person who would it be joe rogan oh down. nice Yes, I like that one. Somebody who, so, um, you know, we, we might look up to slightly in, in this yeah, industry. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we'll get there one day. Don't worry. Um, your favourite sandwich is? Oh, hands down the jam jam sandwich. Wow, nice. White. Any particular type of jam? Like are you sort of? Strawberry, of strawberry, strawberry jam on the whitest bread you can find. Um, nice. That's me. Wow. I love the, I love it when I ask one of these questions and there's no hesitation. It's just like, boom, straight <laughs> into it. You know what you want. I know, I know my sandwiches. Yeah. Now, is it also, I've just got to, on the strawberry jam, there's potential for sponsors here, Sean. Is it like a particular brand or it doesn't matter as long as it's just, you know, good right, homemade as well, maybe? As, as long as it's strawberry, I'm down. 
You're down. All right. Done. Okay, then. I, I, I like this. Just, again, any jam companies listening, you've got a potential, you know, like the rowers yeah. have the whole, you know, awesome, foursome Golden Valley fruit. This could be a, a kayaker thing, like jam. Yeah, like, absolutely. You know, Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Look at that. I'm, I'm trying to get you some sponsors here. <laughs> I, I'm sure you, you could uh, always use some. Um, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? Uh, probably probably fly to be able to fly. That would yep. be awesome. There's, there's your extreme K one flying like with the boat like. <laughs> Mate, that's 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 Jess's uh Jess's apartment not mine so she's she's already flying she's going that quick. Uh the best candy in the world is. Oh, I'm not, I don't really like candy, but I love just gooey gooey chocolate brownies. Like that's mm. just my absolute weakness. Um, the Woolies Woolworths does a do these um these cookies that they bake there and they're just unbelievable. I used to be a Coles Coles fan of the of, of the Coles cookies they do there, but Woolies <laughs> just takes the cake. Woolies takes it literally. Um, you know, did, did you get <laughs> did you get asked to be on one of their Woolies hero stickers? Did you ever get a call thinking that? You no, I, I wasn't cool enough for that, Ben. I wasn't cool enough. You for are that. Maybe, now. No, maybe I mean, now. I- maybe. <laughs> Maybe. I want to hope Paris. They might give you a call at least. Like, you know, like, at least ask the question. Uh, uh, I don't know. We'll see. I just um, want free biscuits, man. That's all yeah. I want. Don't we all? <laughs> Always want free biscuits. Now, you kind of maybe sort of answer this. I don't know. As a kid, who was your favourite sports team? Growing up in Cape Town, it had to be the Stormers, um, mm-hmm. our local super rugby team. So, um, yeah, it's such cool memory. He's going to go watch, going to go watch them at Newlands. So, I'd have to say the Stormers. You know what's funny is that grew up in Tasmania. Rugby's not our biggest sport. I, I moved to New Zealand and sort of lived in the south. So kind of I jumped on the Highlanders bandwagon just because I felt a bit of a trade. I'm like, I should be going for an Australian team. But I don't know, like you don't really kind of gel much with rugby teams living in Tasmania. So it's kind of like, eh, Highlanders. So oh, oh, that's fair enough. But you, I, I would say you're definitely a trader. you got to support. The, if you're Aussie born, you got to yeah. support Aussie, man. <laughs> I'm a Wallabies, man. Don't worry. Like, trust me, I think the one time I lived there and we beat the All Blacks, I wore my jersey to death. <laughs> like, I'm like, hey, guys, look, we beat you. Or for is- the next week. Yeah, exactly. And then yeah. a week later, I'd promptly get shut down to earth uh, when they thrash <laughs> us, as they always do. So yeah. uh, there, there you go. Um... Your favourite sports movie is? Um, so I feel like I should say Invictus, but <laughs> that's such a popular <laughs> one. <laughs> favourite sports movie? Oh, man. Invictus actually I don't think has been answered on this show, funnily enough. Invictus so is you... pretty good. Yeah. Um, oh, jeepers. This one, this one is a hard one. You know what? I'm going to go with Invictus. I'll go, go with, with, it. with Nelson and the boys. It works. You know, Matt Dame, were you pretty impressed with Matt's South African accent? <laughs> it's a tough one to get, but he, he was all right. He was okay. Yeah. Not, not the, like not it's, it's one of those ones like, uh, you know, you watch any Australian sort of thing, they put on an accent. Like, it's like, oh, okay. I don't know what yeah. they're doing with that. But, yeah. uh, I mean, South African accent's always fun to, to, to try, but I'm not going to try it. I'll butcher it and then you'll... One, you know, so. um, one of my mates made me, force me to watch uh, Blood Diamond. This is Riley Fitzsimmons I'm talking about. And um, <laughs> we went on a training camp in Yamba and he was just trying to find all the South African movies possible to try to see if, which one had the best South African accent. So... The one, the one I like is um, over my shoulder. I've got a Bond post of a die another day, and there's uh, a scene when Bond's in Cuba, and he sort of like, I guess, uh, takes advantage of a, another person at this hotel thing he's staying at, and he's meant to be South African. And I, I, I have no idea if that actor is South African or it's just somebody putting on a very Entire. stereotypical South African accent. Yeah, 
check out if you if you haven't watched Die Another Day in a while. I might struggle to get through, uh, it, but check it out and you, okay. you let us know how the South African accent rates in a Bond movie. No um, final question for you today: If you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? Honestly, I've, I've done a lot of travel and I've visited some really cool places. Um, but in terms of uh, where I want to live and um, probably the Gold Coast, I really, I really enjoy it. Yeah, but, you know, if it was like a dream, I didn't have to work, or I had no responsibility, I'd probably be somewhere like, you know, in the Maldives or or in the Swiss Alps, stock standard answer, I reckon. But um, in terms of real life, love the goalie. Great answer. Great answer. Jean, before we let you go, uh, social media, website, anything people can sort of follow you on uh, on the continued journey moving forward? Oh, you can just follow me on Insta, jean.vdwest. Um, yeah, I'm not the most active social media dude, but you'll see you'll see me around here and there. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we really do appreciate your time here off the podium. Uh, obviously, congratulations for, for Tokyo. And uh, we'll close out the way we started, Olympic gold medalist. I'll just keep saying that over and over again. But, Jean, we, we really do appreciate your time. And, uh, we, yeah, we look forward to seeing you bring home a few more gold medals at uh, the future Olympics. Thanks, Ben. been uh, great to be on your show. Appreciate it. And a massive thanks to Jean there. A lot of fun and... Uh, yeah, it's always fun sometimes to have two different teams. As a, as a man who sometimes has two different teams in uh, some sporting leagues around the world, it's okay to have that. I, I'm a soccer fan. I go for Germany more so than I probably go for the Socceroos, but I still go for the Socceroos, so it's kind of it's a, it's a weird balance there. But uh, thanks very much to Jean for his time there. We've got plenty more to come on this show, and I just want to point this out and say right now that uh, at the time of recording this, and this may change around when it comes to scheduling and everything on those lines. John was actually our 99th guest here on Off the Podium, which means our next interview will be our 100th guest that we've had on the show. So celebration time. Obviously, we've been plowing through these guests since Tokyo in the lead up to Beijing, but uh, obviously a bit of a celebratory episode when it comes to our next guest on the show. Who will that be? You might just have to wait and find out. So uh, stay tuned how that will all play out as we celebrate that little occasion. In the meantime, if you want to continue to celebrate with us, listen to these episodes and interviews, you can uh, simply hit us up on social media, off the podium, or, of course, on all our good podcasting platforms where you can subscribe to the show, go back and listen to older episodes, stay up to date with all the future episodes we have. While you're there, leave us some feedback. We'd love to hear what you think of the show and shoot us a message on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Again, we'd love to hear what not only you think of the show, but if you've got any ideas for episodes or guests, we're always open to hearing those. Once again, thanks to John. Thanks to you for listening. My name is Ben. This is Off the Podium. And as always, go left. Turning Japanese up and come turning Japanese.